And by the way, can I just stop for a moment and say, the Oscar goes to the fucking dog. <laughs> this dog. I this think is they not, really drugged the dog. This, this is scene. not. No, 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 no. This is not CGI. And you know they can't harm a dog. Uh, in America. That, that is fucking acting. And I'll uh, tell you. I don't know, man. The dog's tongue was out. I was like, that's the a dog. The dog's tongue is hanging out. His <laughs> eyes are rolling back in his that head. That's not acting, dude. I'm yeah, like, this it. fucking dog is the Daniel Day-Lewis of canines. <laughs> Like, holy shit, how did this how did this dog not get nominated for an Oscar? I'm like, this is fucking amazing. They had some puppy fentanyl or something, man. They no, drugged his ass. I don't think so. I don't know. This is the Silver Screen Happy Hour. I'm Chris Wiegand, along with my brother Jerome. Present and accounted for. So what movies are we tackling this week? First of all, what's the title of this episode? So I don't I don't know. What when did you decide? Anatomy of a past. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so this is this is gonna be really this, one in a series this, of yeah. Oscar nominated. This is uh, our shows. first Oscar show. This yeah. is technically for the books. This is twenty twenty four season I don't know what season season four by now. Season four. 20, 2024 episode three, technically the March episode, but it's our first of our Oscar series. So we picked two Best Picture nominees, Anatomy of a Fall, which is a French film. Mm -hmm. Well, French and English, but uh, the country of origin is France. And Past Lives, which also mixes in some South Korean with English, but its origin is a South Korea. It's a South Korean film with an entirely international cast and crew, which is kind of cool. Yeah. I think this is the first time we battled uh, primarily foreign films on this, isn't it? Yeah, and I was going to correct you. This is actually going to be in like in our uh, podcast feed. It'll be the fourth episode of the of this season simply because we had the Oscar uh, nominations update and you know Legally Liar was our first one of the season. But Right, uh, but, but we uh, also have one being released in and, February. And the Not So Happy Hour Lions Right, fans. but I, uh, those I, I were little those were little uh, short ones. Yeah, I consider those like commercials. Bonus. They're not, they're bonus not full episodes. episodes. Yeah, yeah, bonus episodes. They're not full episodes. But anyway, all right. So what are you drinking? So this is a Korean drink, similar to what I had when we did Everything Everywhere all at once, except I the one I had then is it's similar to a sake, um, but it's it's more of a. I think sake is a higher ABV. This is thirteen percent. How do I pronounce this? I always struggle. Jinro, Jinro. Okay. Um, and really, I I translated the this Korean on the bottle. And it means dew on the grapefruit. <laughs> nice. So, and I noticed in in past lives, there's a scene where they were drinking beverages like this, mm-hmm. getting drunk and doing shots. And so I got a little shot glass, kind of a big shot glass, because nice. you know, this isn't exactly as strong as a you know a hard liquor. But I'm gonna be I'm gonna be going Korean for this episode. No. And last time, for, for for Everything Everywhere All at Once, that one was more of a unflavored drink. So I went with a grapefruit this time because I did not like that other stuff. So let's see how this goes. I love that sound. Yeah. I will try not to have my orgasmic moans while you pour up in the future. I didn't realize we were getting complaints. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
from the from the from the local church groups that listen to our show. Well, it was mainly from the editor having to listen to that. I, I needed therapy afterwards. <laughs> Welcome to my life. No, this is pretty good. I like I could I could drink a bottle of this. All right, I on the other hand completely dropped the ball on this. So I remember telling you on our last show or our last commercial, I think it was when we did the Lions update, is that I wanted to get something from Bevmo. Uh, which is a, a kind of a liquor superstore. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have these uh, 12-pack, 6-pack, 20-pack uh, bottles of beer that are like one from each country. Right, right, And right. I thought it'd be super cool for this. Well, they don't have them anymore. They don't uh, make them anymore. I know. I was super pissed off. I went today, right? Because <laughs> nothing like procrastinating. I went to Total Wine today. Which, by the way, <laughs> my shirt says, don't rush me. I'm waiting for the last minute. That's what my T-shirt says. So that is uh, indicative of what happened to me today. I was rushing to go pick up the girls from school, and I was like, I'm going to stop in at Bedmo real quick, and they don't have it. So I was like, well, show me your international beer section. Maybe I'll find something from Korea, South Korea, or something from France. Nothing. They had like half an aisle of you just German the, beers. could have went with like a French wine, but yeah. you're not a wine guy. I know. Yeah, I did that. Chianti one time for she the was Silence German. The you could have went with a German beer. I was going to because she is German, the the actress in the film. So I was going to, but then I was like, <laughs> I kind of want to save that for if we ever do get around to doing Zone of Interest, which is also up for Best Picture, because that's about like Nazis and shit. So, so I thought, all, all, I'll, the, all this to say is you got your lightsabers, right? Is I got my what? lightsabers, but I've also I have I looked in the cupboard and I'm like, tell me I got some booze in here, <laughs> and I did have a bottle of this really cheap ass bourbon, this cheap ass. I'm sorry, this will be offensive to the maker. It's not cheap. It's it's affordable. <laughs> that's what we'll say. There you go. I have a bottle of affordable Old Forester Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. There you go. And as you can see, it's 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 not new. This mm-hmm. is something I found in my cupboard. And I think it, it works. And I'll tell you why it works. <laughs> this is, again, I don't want to use the word cheap. That's not, uh, we'll call this low budget. Is, low it, budget is it larceny old low budget? Oh. <laughs> in taste or in dollar amount? Um, it's probably close it, in dollar uh, amount. Larceny, I think, is a, yeah, I, mean, I think they're about, they're about the same. But, okay, so if we call this low budget, Think about the films we're doing today, right? <laughs> hey, we're pretty low. Budget. One of them was six million. The other one cost twelve million. In an era where normally films cost over a hundred million dollars to make nowadays, yeah. easily. Anatomy of a Fall cost six million dollars to make, and Past Lives cost twelve. So why did Past Lives cost so much more? What did they do in that movie? I'm trying. to I don't remember. know. You would think that one would even be even cheaper. Yeah. But I don't know. I just huh. googled it and it said twelve. Um, but. Those are still, by today's standards, by far, by today's standards, that's considered low budget. Yeah. So I brought out a low budget whiskey to go with it. <laughs> All right, here's my turn. Here's my turn. Are you ready? All right. On the rocks. My low budget, cost conscious, old forester. Happy hour on the rocks. Did you get that? <laughs> that's it a... sounded light. No, no, it was a, I could see it. So it was a healthy pour. We said something before we started recording. We kind of tipped our hand to each other. One of us liked one of the movies more than the other, and vice versa. You liked uh, the other one. So which one are we yeah. starting with? Well, let's do Anatomy of a Fall. Okay. I'll go through some specs real quick. Obviously, 2023, both these films were released in 2023. They're both up for the Oscars this year. Directed by Justine Trier. It was written by Tidier and Arthur Harari. This is Tidier's fourth feature film in the last 10 years. 
after about five years of short films. It's her second with Harari as a writing partner. And Harari's also an actor, and he appeared in Trier's last three films, including this one. Hmm. So it stars, I want to get this right because it's German, so I want to be, I want to be right on this, Sandra Hola. Hmm. Sandra Hola, uh, she plays Sandra. I'm going to say the character's name in English, <laughs> Sandra, <laughs> so I don't have to say Sandra the whole time. <laughs> yeah, right. Sandra Hola plays Sandra, and uh, Swan Arhalo. He plays Vincent, her lawyer and best friend. Mm -hmm. So it was released in August, August 23rd of last year, primarily in France at first before branching out. It is a French film, has English in it as well. Budget was about, like I said, six, I think it's 6.7 million in U.S. dollars. It's a lot less than that in euros. If you do the exchange rate at the box office, it made 25 million worldwide. And that's in U.S. dollars. Less than five of that. Five million of that was domestic. So wait, wait, domestic for in America? Meaning America. Oh. So less than five million say, not domestic in, in France. No, 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 no. <laughs> so it made the bulk of its money around twenty-one million overseas. Yeah. It beat out. This is good for a hundred and tenth place among oh the, the list of films. But oddly enough, it still beat out Past Lives, which finished at hundred and fourteenth place. So they were pretty close together. I have another funny fact, but we'll do it at the end of the Past Lives one. Okay, those are the specs. Now log me. All right. That's not a very big log line, so here we go. A woman is suspected of her husband's murder, and their blind son faces a moral dilemma as the main witness. Pretty clean. Pretty clean. Right? Pretty clean. Yeah. Doesn't leave a lot of confusion. It's pretty straight to the point. If you were, I don't know, at your on your Amazon page and you're thumbing through, you come across a log line like that, might be something you'd be interested in. If you're flipping through the channels on your streaming and you come across a log line like that, mm -hmm. maybe something you stop for, right? It's not convoluted, not confusing. I say that because wait to, I'm assuming the next one is a pile of horse shit. But, <laughs> but don't worry, we're going to clean that one up because I already cleaned it up for you. Okay. But anyway, all right, so... <laughs> it's what happens when these people that work for like IMDb, like don't really know <laughs> what they should put as the log yeah. line. Well, so they try to put everything in there. And both of these movies to me felt very, as far as the American market goes, indie, very indie kind of. Right. You know, very much. So I don't know how big these studios and uh, that they are working with overseas are, but to me, they just felt like an American indie film, you know, well, minus the, the foreign language and subtitles. <laughs> sure. But here's what I like about both of these. And by the way, both of these are up for best picture and best screenplay. Mm -hmm. Now that's it for past lives. They only got those two nominations. I think Anatomy of Fall was nominated for five total, including best actress on Sandra Hola. Mm -hmm. um, but both got nominated for screenplay. Here's the interesting thing. In America, we always complain. Mm -hmm. There's no originality in Hollywood anymore. Everything's a reboot or a remake or a franchise sequel. There's no original films. Man, if you want to watch really good original films, just look overseas. Mm -hmm. I think both of these films are really, really good. Um, and there's no, almost virtually no special effects. Just really good acting, really good writing, really good directing. And they're, neither one of these were based on a book. These are original screenplays. So... I, I, I'm impressed with both of these films, and it makes me think, you know, if I'm getting sick of 
another Marvel movie or another Star Wars movie or a Roadhouse has been remade. Good God. <laughs> if if I if I get to a point where I'm sick of it, I'm just sick of it. And yeah. I know I never will be. But if I ever get to that point, man, just start watching films from fucking France, man. And shit like that. It's it's these are original screenplays and they're stories that work. So. I, I'm right on that, right? They're both original. <laughs> Just, <laughs> normally in my research, I come across Ooh. if it was based on a book, I'm going to be in trouble now. Now I'm starting to think Anatomy well, of Fall was based on a book. Now I got people screaming at me. So, yeah, Past Lives is nominated for Best Original Screenplay. And so is Anatomy of Fall, right? I didn't look at that one yet. I'm in oh. IMDb. Oh, okay. So here we go. Well, it's good that you did Past Lives because I went into Anatomy of a Fall. Yeah. Yeah, best original screenplay. Yep. So they're okay. both originals. Yeah, so, uh, you know, both original screenplays. Okay, so, all right, here we go. Are you ready? I'm we ready. Have, we have the beats. the beats. So the reason I, like, before I get into the beats, <laughs> the reason I liked this one more than the other one is there's more deep amb- ambiguity at the end, and there's symbolism throughout. I think Past Lives was really well made. But I'm going to tell you why I liked this one a little, just a little bit more. It's more of a thinker. Yeah. Okay. So opening image, and that's and that's why I wanted to stop well, and say that first. And before you before you get into it, I think I, you know, I'm looking at the IMDb trailer right now, and I'm remembering the movie as I'm looking at this. You're right. I I liked I liked the I mean the acting and the the dialogue. It was a good. It was a good movie. I didn't like the ending. So we, we'll get there. So let go go ahead with the beats. Okay, okay. Why you didn't like the ending, I'm suspecting, is why I loved it. So this will be good. Okay. This will be good. Okay. <laughs> Opening image. Dog is preparing for a bath. Now, there's going to be a dog-themed symbolism throughout this film, particularly in the opening and closing images. And also, in a moment later, we're going to get to where the father, a flashback of the father, is in the car with the son. And he tells a story about having to say goodbye to your dog. Mm. So this this dog thing is going to be a symbol throughout. Um, set up. Established that the son, Daniel, is blind. Mother is a writer. Father is could be argued to be inconsiderate, to say the least. <laughs> That's how the film opens. <laughs> yeah. um, and apparently rapper 50 Cent is still popular in France. <laughs> Anyone that's going to play an instrumental of his song, P.I.M.P., on a loop, I might add. <laughs> right. At full blast volume is either inconsiderate or a diehard 50 Cent fan. So, okay. Theme stated at two minutes and 25 seconds in, while during her interview, the interviewee, Zoe, says to protagonist Sandra, and this is a quote, for you to start inventing, you need something real first. Mm-hmm. This will be a running theme throughout the film as Sandra will be bombarded with questions, allegations, accusations, and challenges. And much of the time, we, as the audience and her, seemingly aren't sure when she's inventing or when she's being real. Mm-hmm. And did, did you say, I can't remember, did you say why she was being interviewed? No, we haven't gotten there yet. Okay. Oh, you mean the interview at the beginning? Yeah, the interview at the beginning of the movie. We, we discover right right away she's an author. Yeah, you know, I said she's a writer. She's oh, a writer. Okay, and she's and she's interviewing like a writing student yeah. that wanted to meet her. And so she's trying to do an interview. That's how the movie starts. The, the blind son Daniel's upstairs giving the dog a bath. And she's trying to do this interview. And her husband is upstairs <laughs> working on the house in a very much I want to let you know that I'm here way. 
he's blasting his music and he's got power tools going and like she's trying to do an interview and he's not being very considerate and we'll find out later why. Okay, so inciting incident slash catalyst. Now, this is seven minutes in, which is early, right? Here's the interesting part about this. We often talk about, and Past Lives does it too, where we stopped, I want to say a couple of years ago, you and I stopped clock watching. Mm-hmm. Oh, the theme didn't come at the five minute mark. And oh, this is supposed to be at the 20 minute mark. It's more or less that you hit the beats and you hit them in order. Mm-hmm. They don't have to be at a certain time. We're not clock watching anymore. It's just as long as, because we found, I think doing our podcast, we found that movies that deviate from when these beats hit still work. Mm-hmm. So it stopped being about when they hit as long as they're hit and they're hit in order. Right, right. right? So so seven minutes early for this inciting incident, Daniel and the dog Snoop, by the way, Snoop, dog, the dog's name is Snoop, okay, find that dad is dead from a dreadful fall. Uh, this is early for an inciting incident. Uh, again, we talk about rule, tools, not rules. But it happening this early, I think, was strategic. This way, we can do opening credits while they do the autopsy. So we're not wasting dead time showing this. By the way, the wound on the dad's head during the autopsy. Like, the second you see that, you're like, no way that's a fall. No fucking way. (laughs) Right? So, again, and these are seeds that 3A is planting in the audience's head. So, anyway, they do the opening credits over the, the backdrop of the autopsy. Generally, I would say you want more character development before you hit your catalyst. But here's why I think it's very strategic to do it at the seven minute mark. We haven't gotten a chance yet to really know these characters. Mm -hmm. And I think that's done by design Mm -hmm. because we don't really want to know a lot about Sandra yet. This creates. Yeah, it's a mystery. It's, it creates the, do I trust this woman? Right, right. Was this really an accident? You know, we don't know. We have no fucking clue, right? Like if, I don't know, if we're watching shit, I'm just think of a movie, uh, Titanic. Let's just take Titanic, right? Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot about Leo that we know in the first few scenes of seeing him. Right, right. Right? The underdog. He's got no money. He's poor. He's crafty and clever. He, he, he cheats at cards, or at least is lucky at cards. And gets himself onto the ship and blah, blah, blah. So if anything happens to Leo at that point, we're on his side, mm-hmm. right? But if the film opened and we saw Leo in half of a scene and then something shitty happens, we're going to be like, was it Leo that did that? You right. know what I mean? Like, we won't know. <laughs> right. So that's that's the strategy of, of moving it up early. And what other movie did we say kind of did that? Silence of the Lambs we talked about where she meets Lecter in the first, like, seven, eight minutes of the movie. (laughs) Like, we haven't gotten a chance to know her yet. You know, her development doesn't come until after that meeting with Lecter. Okay, let's see. Okay, the debate begins. Vincent lays out his thoughts. By the way, I love this scene. Vincent lays out his thoughts that she will be indicted for murder. Again, I don't know if I went into too much detail. The son and the dog are the ones that find the, the dad. He has fallen. He's cracked his head open. There's blood all over the snow. And it looks bad. Yeah. And inspectors come. There's some there's some uh, time in Act One that I kind of skipped over because it isn't really a beat. It's just Act One development. Inspectors come and they start running some tests, you know, about like, well, if you were standing over here, you said you heard them arguing over there, you know, and blah, 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 blah. And right. they're doing all this stuff. So there's a lot of like what happened set up, right? Yeah, a lot yeah. of testing. Inspectors are just trying to figure out what the hell happened. It doesn't look good for Sandra. So we get to this scene of Debate Begins where Vincent, her lawyer and friend, kind of lays it out. They're going to indict you for murder. That's what he's thinking. 
and they need a defense. At the 26-minute mark, Sandra says almost defiantly, wait. As he's talking, she stops him and he goes, wait, I didn't kill him. Vincent looks at her and says, that's not the point, really. <laughs> like, <laughs> like right. you know, and then he and then he goes in on this, you know, about how they'll need a defense. This is, again, playing into her theme. Is she inventing this part or is this part real? Even if she's telling the truth, we don't believe like he she even says, like, I think he fell. I think he fell is what she says. And he says, nobody's going to believe that. And then he says, I don't believe that. You know what I mean? Like, this is her friend and her lawyer. Right, right. And, and he immediately follows that up with, that's why we need a defense. So right off the bat, they're saying, 26 minutes into the film, whether you're innocent or guilty is irrelevant. Right, right. We have to make up a defense. And something I didn't consider until I was, you know, into the court scenes, really. This isn't America. You're not innocent until proven guilty. You're basically guilty and have to prove your innocence. Which, again... Agreed. I don't know the court systems overseas. I thought the way they do it in France was kind of fucking balls out crazy <laughs> where anyone could just stand up and they're heard. I know. Like they could just stand up and say, I think I like pizza. And then everybody will turn and be like, how do you like pizza? Like they'll start asking <laughs> that person questions. Like anybody can stand up and say something and the counselors are allowed to start asking them questions. Yeah. Like it's crazy. Like there's no order. It's like anybody could just say whatever they want. Somebody will be in the middle of a testimony and Sandra, who's the defendant, will just stand up and be like, nope, that's not true. Like, and nobody's and nobody says objection. Yeah. You like, know, if this movie was made in America, it wouldn't have been a movie because there would have been no court scene. There's no there. It would have been right. Compl- I mean, all you got to do is prove reasonable doubt. It would have been as the far most, as her guilt goes. It would have been the most boring version of an OJ trial you've ever seen. <laughs> right. Like, I mean, this one had drama because whenever they wanted, somebody would stand up and be like, I disagree with that. And they would they would all turn and be like, tell us why. You know, like, yeah. like it was yeah. just a madhouse. It was yeah. just like I, I, I kind of liked it. Like, that. I was like, I wish courts were like that in America. It was interesting. Yeah. How often does people get on the stand and they say something and, you know, the defendant's like, they're fucking lying. They're lying. They're lying. Imagine in America if you could just get up and be like, he's lying. <laughs> but anyway. All right. So the break into two. Sandra is indicted. And at the 38-minute mark, it propels us into Act 2, which is the mirror flip version of Act 1, where her life was seemingly normal. Now it's absolutely abnormal. Her life is turned upside down. She's now officially on trial for murder. Fun and games. That's how we start Act 2. Opens with some great trailer images as we see the delivery of the premise. Daniel is sheltered by Marge. They are testing the drop of the body from the balcony, which is a kind of a hard scene where they right. drop that dummy and the way it cracks its head on the edge of that that, yeah, uh, that shed like, or something that's below. I know, you feel it, and it's just a dummy. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, wow. Because you were imagining if that was him. Yeah. yeah we're like, yeah. if that's how they're saying it happened, fucking ouch, dude. Well, like, <laughs> it, it really explains his head in the morgue. Yeah, when you see that drop from the dummy, you're like, that's why his head looked like that. Like, holy shit, it looked like Kennedy. Anyways, (laughs) all right, maybe not that bad. All right, dial it back. Too soon. It's only been 50 years, but eh, too soon. Um, uh, uh, Anyway, 60 years now, Jesus. Okay, Uh, where are we at here? I lost my spot. Okay, Vincent's testing Sandra on her testimony. Sandra is outed as bisexual during cross-examination of Zoe. 
the blood splatter experts spar back and forth about whose story is more believable, which is another great moment. And Daniel tries to imagine what it would look like. This is the cool part. Daniel's blind. Mm -hmm. So he they show him several times sitting in the crowd. Mm -hmm. And as people are telling their versions, he's imagining in its head what it would look like. Right. And they show a shot of her hitting the dad with a stick or something. And... They show another shot where he's sort of on the edge of the balcony and she pushes him. Right, right. And then they show another shot of him just falling, like losing his balance. Uh, like he's imagining all of these scenarios in his head because he's blind. Right, right. So, you know, as people are talking in court, he's visualizing what they're saying in his head. Um, what a traumatic oh, but, experience for oh a child. Oh, my God. I mean, how yes. old was he? I don't know. You remember how, he, how old his, he He uh, couldn't have been more than... 10 or 11, right? Yeah. Maybe yeah. 12 Ten. tops, maybe. Uh, maybe. Between, yeah, like, maybe between 10 and 12. Yeah, I, yeah. Yeah. So he's a kid, man. And by the way, I wrote this down. The concept and the word testing was peppered throughout the entire fun and games part, which is act two. Mm -hmm. Everybody's testing, right? There's a lot of like, we're going to try this. We got to try that to try to get to the truth. Midpoint, one hour and 14 minutes in after the idea that Samuel, who is the dad, by the way, who died, may have killed himself, is established in court. Sandra gets has her, you know, let's get real conversation at, by the campfire with her lawyer and friend Vincent, where she flat out suggests that he doesn't believe her. This is a perfect example of a false victory and immediately met with the bad guys closing in. It's a false victory because she gets that into court mm -hmm. pretty convincingly that he killed himself. This is big on a murder trial, right? So it seems like it's a victory. They got everyone saying, oh, my God, you know, it's yes, he, he must have killed himself or he could have killed himself. But then immediately after that, the very next scene, she's they're outside having a cigarette by the campfire at night. And you could tell Vincent is suspicious. Hmm. He's almost not believing it. And she calls him out on it. You don't believe me, do you? You know, but. Let's let's uh, be frank. If we're talking tangible and spiritual goals, this is another one. The tangible goal for her is to be free, right? right? Um, this is a big step towards that. So she doesn't achieve tangible goal, but it's a big step towards that. By you know, like you said, reasonable doubt. If you're in an American court and you can create that there was a possibility it wasn't you, you're not guilty, right? Right, right. because the prosecutor has to prove it was you, right? Right. So this is a huge step for her introducing the concept that he could have killed himself or that he probably did kill himself. Bad guys closing in a damning recording is played in court. Probably the best scene of the whole movie, I, yeah. actually, because it reminded me of lo a lot of a marriage story. Did you see that one with Scarlett Johansson no. and Adam Driver? No. And there's a scene in there that they played at the Oscars when both were up for best actor and best actress. It's this real just hard argument between two people, not unlike a Johnny Depp, Amber Heard moment, right? That we heard in that court where they're just going out saying just the meanest things they could say to each other. Right. And just hard realities coming out. And the, and the, the judge tells the son, I don't think you should be in here for that. And the son's like, no, 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 I have to hear this. I don't want to, but I have to, right? Like, right. I got to be there for it. I've already heard everything. Well, and because he needs to know for himself what yeah, happened. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's yeah. going to be huge later. So so they play this real damning recording. And it doesn't look good for Sandra after this. It really looks like she killed him after this <laughs> because it's just bad. It's a bad, and it's physical, right? They start yeah. hitting each other. So it, it doesn't well, paint a very good picture. The way she explained it, he was hitting himself 
but you could hear the thuds, and it sounded like they were fighting, like physically yes, fighting. Yes, absolutely. They were bre- absolutely. There was breaking glass, and so yep. it sounded horrible. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So a few other hits come right after that. There's another expert on the stand that contradicts her story. Sandra's called out by the prosecuting attorney again. By the way, I love the prosecuting attorney. That guy had zero fucks left to give. That <laughs> dude, whenever anybody, and he's going to do it again in a minute. And, and when we get to the five-point finale, he rears his ugly head again. But anytime something that seemingly good happens, he shits all over it. Like this, right. He's a great prosecuting attorney. And he scoffs and, like, pathetically laughs at people's testimonies. Like, like eh, that can't be believed, you know? Um, uh, okay, and they announced that Daniel's going to testify. That's a big one, too, right? A blind eyewitness is going to testify. That ought to be good. So all of that is bad guys closing in. Now, all is lost, and this is a big one. Once they decide after the recording and that Daniel's going to testify, they go home, and Daniel tells Marge, I do not want my mom at the house. That's a blow for Sandra. That's like, holy shit, my own son doesn't want me here. Does he think I'm guilty now? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, And she just wants to talk to him, and Marge is like, yeah, you kind of got to go. Got to get out of here. Right. He doesn't want you here. Kid doesn't want you here. You got to go. So yep. she has to leave. And she spends, I think, the next part she's watching TV or something. She's just alone. She's like eating chips or something, and she's just by herself. That is definitely an all is lost. It's very real for Sandra and the audience at this point that we start to second guess if she's innocent or not. Right, right. Um, not that up until this point you've made a decision, because I'm sure you haven't at this point. I hadn't. When well, I got to this point, I still didn't know. Here's the thing. With, for me, I, I didn't think she did it the entire movie but i was not sure like they didn't they didn't really convince me either way i guess but i didn't like i didn't have a gut saying oh i think she she's playing them you know what i mean right all right yep that works the judge okay i even said the judge even told daniel not to go and he wanted to listen okay so this is a false defeat for sandra it feels like a defeat but we know that it's not because of what happens next dark night of the soul while Sandra is alone and watching TV by herself, she's starting to contemplate possibly her days are numbered. Daniel's doing another test. He's going to test out his theory by drugging the fucking dog. Because he got... Now, before everyone starts that hasn't seen it starts getting up in arms, one of the reasons that they floated in court why they think it might have been a suicide attempt is because earlier in, like, what was it, weeks or months earlier... Did we, found... we mention there's going to be all kinds of spoilers if you haven't seen the movie? And you want to be surprised. I think we, we're going to spoil the ending for you. Yeah, so there you go. S- <laughs> Actually, yeah, we are. Okay, yeah. so there's <laughs> yeah. no way to talk about how good it is if we don't leave it out the ending. Yeah, right. So so earlier in the film, they talked about how the she thinks it was suicide because they found him passed out earlier, like months earlier or whatever, and there was vomit all over the place, and there was aspirin in the vomit. Right. Right? So they thought, well, he attempted suicide once, Who's to say he didn't attempt it again? So the son is not convinced. He's going to test it on the dog, he thinks, because the dog got sick too, right? Right, right. So he wants to test it on the dog and see if he, if the dog would throw up vomit if eaten a lot of aspirin. So this fucking kid laces his own dog's food with aspirin. Yeah, like a lot. Yeah, like a lot. <laughs> and by the way, can I just stop for a moment and say... The Oscar goes to the fucking dog. <laughs> this dog. I this think is they not, really drug the dog. For this, this is scene. not. No, 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 no. This is not CGI. And you know they can't harm a dog. Uh, in America. That, 
That is fucking acting. And I'll uh, tell you. I don't know, man. The dog's tongue was out. I was like, that's the a dog. The dog's tongue is hanging out. His <laughs> eyes are rolling back in his that head. That's not acting, dude. I'm yeah, like, they drugged this him. fucking dog is the Daniel Day-Lewis <laughs> of canines. <laughs> like, holy shit. How did, this, how did this dog not get nominated for an Oscar? I'm like, this is fucking amazing. They had some puppy fentanyl or something, man. They no, drugged his ass. I don't think so. I don't know. All right, break into three. Daniel figures it all out because of the dog's vomit. The dog, sure enough, they feed the dog. And it's the way they give the dog the water, and the dog starts immediately drinking the water and then throws up all the vomit with the aspirin in it. Yeah. On cue, motherfuckers. Tom Hanks couldn't have done it better. So so the son is convinced, right, that the dad killed himself, that that proves that he did have a suicidal past and that he he probably killed himself. So, all right, five-point finale. Here we go. Now, both this film and Past Lives, the so-called five-point finale, very fuzzy. All yeah, right, very. It's kind of like an – and both of these films have an abrupt act three that just go pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And there's not a lot of ebbs and flows, right? There's not a lot of oh, – oh, you know, like, oh, that sounded bad if you guys aren't watching me. <laughs> what I mean is highs and then yeah, low, yeah, yeah. and then high and then low. There's not a lot of that. These films don't the, – both of these films don't have a lot of room for that at their ending, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So I really had to get creative with these five-point finales here. <laughs> All right, five-point finale. Daniel takes the stand. That's gathering the team, right? Gathering the team. Daniel's going to take the stand. Execution of the plan. Daniel lays out to the jury and the court the suicide idea and how and why it happened. He even includes the car ride story where his dad was bringing him home from the vet, right? The last time the dog was sick from this instance. By the way, they discovered that the dog was sick the first time because the dog ate the dad's vomit. Right, right. But right. It had so, the medicine in it, yeah. Right, right, right. So while the dad was driving him home, the dad goes into this speech. This is all kind of done through story and court and flashback. The dad tells him that, you know, you'll have to say goodbye to your dog someday. Like, death is reality. Like, it's just going to have to happen. And in a way, he's preparing the son for his death, yeah. For loss, serious well, loss. And his death. It hits differently for the kid too. It hit differently remembering that considering that oh, dad just tried to kill himself and he failed and now he's telling me this about the dog. So he was really talking about himself. Right. Yeah, that was and, a powerful scene. And we're going to add a little bit of extra layer in there. You as a dog owner would know this and this is uh, kind of a morbid uh, point to make, but what do you do when you have a dog that is dying and has given up on life? Well, what you, do you do? What's the humane thing to do? You call my wife's friend, Jeanette. <laughs> She's a vet, and she'll come to your house, and you can pet him as he goes to sleep. Okay, it's, but it's tough. Okay, <laughs> but, but yeah. what's the ter- what's the terminology? Euthanize. You you put him down. Well, okay, that's a little bit too on the nose. I meant more like you put the dog down. Yeah, right? you put you him put, down. Yeah, 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 you put you put him down. That's important. Hold on to that thought. Okay, Hightower surprise. After he's done pouring his heart out on the stand, the opposing counsel comes up again and basically shits all over this kid's testimony. Yeah. He's like, this kid's too close to it. He's too attached. He's too emotional. We have to disregard this entire testimony. Like, fucking this guy is ruthless, by the way. This is a child pouring his heart out on the stand about his dad and the opposing attorney's like, eh, can we really believe anything this kid says? (laughs) Right. What a dick. (laughs) Yeah. Dig down deep. The protagonist, Sandra, does little to dig down deep here, right? She does, again, it's trying to find a heart it, other than await the decision, which eventually is acquittal. 
if anything, that's the deep down deep is that she's acquitted. Execution of the new plan. She's released and she can go home where she seeks, in my opinion, Daniel's forgiveness. Now, remember, they talk a lot earlier where she even says he was very close to his father. Mm-hmm. He wasn't very close to me. We didn't have a lot of moments together. He had a lot of father-son moments with his dad. Yeah. So that ending where he hugs her, and it almost looks like she's about to release from the embrace, and he holds on again, right? Like it's a real emotional hug. Is almost like a forgiveness of, I, I forgive you for being a shitty mom and a shitty wife, in a way. Right. It's a little too a little harsh coming from Daniel, but you know, she felt that anyway, that her son that was a very emotional hug. Yeah, right? she felt the failure. I mean, obviously the failure of the marriage cuz Absolutely. Yeah. But she even blamed herself for failure as a mother. Like yeah. she was so engrossed in her work and writing books and, you know, you know whatever, her extracurricular activities. Right. He spent a lot of time with the dad. So, right? My problem with the ending, I felt like it 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 kind of dragged. A little bit. So I, I just, I sent, like, when she walked out of the courtroom acquitted, mm-hmm. if they could have made the that that last scene happen quicker, I probably would have been happier with it. It just felt weird to me. I mean, I don't know. Well, it felt like it dragged wh- out, and I was like. Which part? The part where she goes home and tells Marge, okay, you can go now, I'm here now, and yeah. all that shit? Or you mean, like, from where she hugs him to where she goes and lays down with the dog? You no. mean the very, very ending, from, or just the whole from like, the time she walks she, out of the courtroom till the time she acquitted, gets okay. till the end credits? It just seemed I, like a I long do, finish. I think they had to explain shit. Like, okay, it's time to say bye to Marge, right? Yeah. The handler's got to go, and and everything. And there is a. I think they did that to build up that hug. Yeah, yeah. That if they do it too quickly, it's too abrupt, right? We don't feel it. We right, need to right. feel that hug from Daniel. Okay, so here's where my take is on the ending. Okay. Uh, her spiritual goal is achieved. I think her spiritual goal was, again, remember, it's what they didn't know that they needed. And I think what she needed, her spiritual goal was forgiveness from her son. If you had told her at the beginning of the movie, what you really need in life is forgiveness from your son. She'd be like, what the hell are you talking about? I don't, why why would I need his forgiveness? I haven't done it. You know what I mean? Like, but on this journey, this two hour movie, this court and father's death and everything, she realizes I do need to reconnect with my son. I do need his forgiveness. However, here's where it gets interesting. <laughs> I think this is ambiguous. If she really is guilty, right, and she was inventing half of this suicide story, I say half because they believe that he was suicidal, but he's forgiving her because he knows she's guilty. But the car ride with the dad told him that he had given up on life. So even if Daniel thinks she's guilty, he was a dog that needed to be put down. Oh. And his hug, his hug at the end is forgiving her for doing it. So that's so you think she did it? I think she did it. So I think she's I, guilty so here's the as thing. fuck. Now I missed it. Now I got to rewatch it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so watch the car ride specifically and yeah. watch his reaction to the recording that's being played in court when they're fighting. And then and then he talks about that car ride. Watch the dad's face when he's talking to the son and Daniel's face when he's explaining to him. Yeah. He's given up on life pretty much. He's getting that. That's why I said, hold that thought. What do you do with a dog that's given up on life and is you dying? Put him down. You put him down. 
Sandra put him down like a dog. Damn. That's why the closing image, she lays down with the dog. And again, best actor award, that dog almost looks at the camera. That dog kind of like sits up a minute and like looks at the camera like I was expecting that dog to fucking wink. Like I thought I thought a wink was coming. It was like the dog's way of saying, "Yep, she's guilty." Wow. So yeah, you made me think about that completely differently than the first time I saw it. Wow. Yeah. Because I only I thought, watched it once. We I rented it, so I only watched it once. <laughs> yeah. It's it's got what I call an of course but maybe ending. I'll okay. What that means. I, I steal that line from a Louis C.K. stand-up bit <laughs> where he would talk about how there's this thing that's obvious, right? But then there's this, well, but maybe there's this thing over yeah. here that nobody talks about. Some endings are 50-50. They're designed to be ambiguous. The ending of Inception is a perfect example. When that top is spinning and the camera's closing in on it. And then it goes to black. And you know that if it falls, he's awake. But if it keeps spinning, he's still asleep. And it goes to black before anything happens. That's a 50-50 ending. That's where people walk out of the theater going, what do you think? What do you think? I think he's asleep. I think he's awake. You know, it's (laughs) 50-50. This isn't a course, but maybe. This is a 75-25 ending. 75 is what you saw. Yeah. She got off. She's acquitted, and now she needs to rebuild her but life. But it still for makes you wonder. There's that 25 in there, though. <laughs> That's pretty That made good. me think she's yeah. fucking guilty, dude. That's... She did it. Right. She did it. She wow. killed him. And the son knows it. The son knows she killed him, but he's forgiving her. Well, I'm, I feel much better about the movie now than when I watched <laughs> it, because I was like, if she was just innocent and that, that was it, I don't know. It was it was okay. It was I an okay ba- movie. I I have backup for this, by the way. Okay, let's hear it. All right. <laughs> a little bit of trivia. First, let's go again with the notes on the arc. So Sandra's tangible goal, obviously, is to uh, get acquitted, right? That's her tangible goal. Her spiritual goal is Daniel's forgiveness, right? And again, whether she's guilty or not, if she's innocent, her forgiveness is he's forgiving her for being distant as a mother and for being a bad wife. If she's guilty... It's his forgiveness for killing him, for killing Samuel. Okay, so we talked about hitting the beats in order. Catalyst comes very early. The tangible goal comes very late. There's kind of a weak Hightower surprise. But it works because they're in order. Yeah. Right? And that's the main thing for you writers out there who, who listen to our podcasts to kind of get strategic ideas that, you know, and again, I don't think we mentioned this enough. I think we need to start mentioning it more or else we're going to be hit with plagiarism. <laughs> we follow this beat sheet comes from Blake Snyder and his Save the Cat trilogy of books. That's where we get all these terms from. We didn't make this shit up. I didn't invent any of this. You know, we we. We reference the Save the Cat trilogy, which which breaks down films like this in the order of beats, mm-hmm. uh, which helps drive your story and drive your main character to their spiritual goal. This film follows all of them. Mm-hmm. There may be a lit, you know, like I said, one's early, one's late, but they follow all of them. Okay, a couple of things to add here. I don't want to say these are trivia, but I think it was a perfect casting for Sandra Hola. She has that look yeah. of both Predator and Prey. That's another reason why I think it's amb- ambiguous, the ending. Because when you look at her sometimes in court, you're like, that bitch is dirty, dude. She's, <laughs> she's gonna, she could fucking kill him, and she might kill the son. She might kill the son for all we know. But then there's other scenes where you feel, like, sympathetic towards her. Like, yeah. 
You know what I mean? Like, it was just perfect casting. You know, I, I thought that was great. The dog, by the way, <laughs> did win the Palm Dog Award at the Cannes <laughs> Film Festival. So, I'm not wrong. The Oscars needs to come up with the best fucking pet Oscar. Okay, my last point before I turn it over to you, and this is the best part that th- serves the ambiguous ending. <clears throat> Sandra Ola went to the director, Justine Trier. She's told this story. That Trier never told her if the character Sandra was guilty or innocent. Okay. She asked her several times, and she wouldn't tell her. All she told her was, the only direction she gave her was, I simply want you to act innocent. Okay. Right? <laughs> so, uh, I don't know. I think, I think she's guilty as fuck. I think she did it. I think it was another argument that got bad. Yeah. And he was on the edge of that balcony, and she just pushed that motherfucker right over, <laughs> and he cracked his head on the shed below, split his head open, and there you have it. And game over. So, what are your thoughts? <laughs> Other than what you told me. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. I, I don't want to add anything because I really want to get to the next one. But uh, no, I, you've made me rethink the movie. Because so here, that's the thing. If you watch this movie, and you finish the movie thinking she's innocent, yeah, it's an okay movie. Right, the ending's kind of, eh. Yeah, right. that's why I said, that's why I told you, I texted you, I was like, nah, it was okay. But yeah. <laughs> rethinking it now, I'm like, holy shit. You yeah. know, it's I, I'm going to have to rewatch it for real. Yeah. I'm gonna I mean, I may be it. wrong, but I watched it twice for this reason. Yeah. No, that's, sec- those are some really strong points, so. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's move on now to past lives. Yes. Another good one. Best Picture nominee. Nominee for Best Screenplay. Now, this was the one I bagged a little bit on our Oscar show, our pre-Oscar show, <laughs> right. where I said, do we really need to fill out all 10 slots for Best Picture? We don't have to have 10. I feel like they just threw past lives in there just to fill out the 10. I still kind of feel that way <laughs> because it's a, <laughs> it's a good movie, but I don't know if I would say this has got a shot at Best Picture. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's a good, it's, it's a good kind of – it's a good story and a good film. Written and directed by Celine Song. By the way, you'll be impressed to know this is her first feature film as a writer and as a director. She had written nine episodes on a TV show called The Wheel of Time, but that was the only writing she had done prior to writing this script. Hmm. And it's the first time she directed anything. Wow. This is her only directing credit right now. So pretty impressive for a rookie campaign. Yeah. It stars Greta Lee as Nora and Yuteo as Sung. I know what you're going to say. Isn't it Deo Yu? But as you know, in Korea, as in Japan, and I think China too, but mostly a lot of those Southeast Asian countries, the last name comes first. It, like in America, you'd be known as Wigan Chris. Like the, mm-hmm. la- the like the family name comes first. So it, properly, he would be called Yu Teo. Mm-hmm. Teo is actually his first name, which would come last. And John Magaro as Arthur. Mm-hmm. Now, Past Lives made almost $23 million at the box office, doubling its budget. Uh, with a little less than half coming from domestic and the other half coming from overseas. So pretty split down the middle. Not too bad. Good for 114th place, as I said. <laughs> it did beat out some critical darlings like Saltburn and Dumb Money. Those I get, those had billboards. Those had commercials that I saw on streaming. Hmm. And, and Past Lives, I didn't know even existed until the Oscar nominations came out. Right. And, it made, and it made more money than those two films. What was the but, budget? What did you say the budget was? Twelve. I Googled, I Googled it said 12. Okay. So, now this is going to be funny. To put into perspective, though, it finished at 114th, right? Yeah. The other movie finished at 110. 
the Titanic 25th anniversary re-release <laughs> made more money than both of these films combined. Oh, God. The 25th anniversary re-release of Titanic made $70 million worldwide. That's, That's what any film being released would want to make. What, and, and You mean at the box office? Yes. Oh my they re-released God. it in theaters. <laughs> I didn't and even it know. Made, and it made $70 million. <laughs> more than both of these movies that we're talking about yeah. combined. Fucking insane. All right. Log me. All right. Nora and Sung, two deeply connected childhood friends, are wrestled apart after Nora's family emigrates from South Korea. 20 years later, they are reunited for one fateful week as they confront notions of love and destiny. I don't like the, the log line. Uh, I um, fucking hate it. Yeah, it's it's horrible. <laughs> So but, um, I, I decided to come up with one. Yeah, let's hear yours. That's a, that's a little bit cleaner. Yeah. I have two childhood friends consider the texture of their relationship over two decades as they drift apart and live different lives. Yeah, that's that's a better, better log line. Because notions of love I and destiny think, is Yeah, kinda... I think there's they're throwing too much at you. Remember, we had this problem with yeah. Fat Man's log line, where they tried to throw two or three different storylines into yeah. one log line. Well, and one of the problems I had with this film is that I think because of the trailer, it made me feel like it was about lost love. And it's really not. It really... It's, it's, it's about lost childhood for Lost me. childhood... And it's it's with, an immig- with a potential for love, and it's an immigrant story. Yes, is yeah. what it is. It's it's not about lost love, but it's so anyway. We'll get into that. Right, right. Okay, we have <laughs> the beats. All right. So the opening image. This is an interesting one because it's a, kind of a flash forward. It's when they're already adults. They're having drinks in a bar at four a.m. And strangers, who we never see later in the movie, are playing this who is who game. Who do you think she is? I think she's married to that guy. Who yeah, do you yeah. think the other guy is? You know, Coincidentally, Hei Sung seems happy to be in the company of Nora. This will be important for the bookend. Okay, theme stated. I felt there was kind of a two-part theme here. So as the film opens, Nora and her sister are kids. This is 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. And they're tasked with choosing new names as they immigrate to Canada. That's where they're going originally. Right. And the, and the mom has asked, you know, have you decided? And they start arguing about what names they want. For anyone that really doesn't get this, in in a lot of Asian cultures, names can be like Hesong or, you know, Sayong Si or whatever. Like they're, they're, they feel it's easier for them to blend in in Western culture, mm-hmm. Canada, America, if they give themselves a name like Janet or Margaret, you know what I mean? Or something like that. Like they give themselves an American name basically. Right, right. To make it easier to fit in and blend in. So that that's common. And I know this because I work in the pharmaceutical industry. Well, we'll say retail pharmaceutical industry. <laughs> where I, I have come across... I can't even tell you how many pharmacists have Asian backgrounds, Far East backgrounds. Some of them first generation. Mm-hmm. Some of them been here a while, but a lot of them don't use their real name. They have like an Americanized name that they use. It's right. just, you know, something that they do. So th- the the point of this is that it's interesting that that's one of the themes is choice, right? Mm-hmm. The mother sets up right at the beginning choices. What did you choose? Have you decided? The idea of decisions and choices is going to be a running theme throughout this whole film and their whole lives. Yeah. Right? 
The second choice, or the second thing, the, not the second choice, but what I said is a two-part theme. The other theme that I think rings true is a couple of scenes later, uh, Nora and Sung, who are children, are having kind of like a day date, right? They're like playing in the park and their moms are there. Mm-hmm. And when Nora's mom tells uh, Hey Sung's mom that they're leaving, that they're moving to Canada, Hey Sung's mom is obviously disappointed because they thought, you know, they thought these two could grow up together and get married someday. Um, she says, "Why would you leave all this behind? Your your husband's a filmmaker. You're a writer, or something like that. You know, why would you leave all this behind?" And the mother says, and I quote, "When you leave something behind, you gain something too." So that's a t- that's this film in a nutshell, if you think about it, right? It's about choice, and when you make that decision, you are leaving something behind, but you're going to gain something out of it. That is, what is that, six minutes into the movie. Right. That was at the six-minute mark. So anyway, I broke this down, uh, not just in acts like you usually do, but I also have three versions of Nora's world, Okay. Act one is the first version of her world where she is with Sung physically together as friends. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. 14 minutes in Catalyst. After 12 years, we now jump ahead 12 years. Now, since she's moved away from South Korea, Nora discovers Sung is looking for her. Sung. He finds out this on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Up until this moment, her life was in progress. Sung finding out that he does not only still exist, has a Facebook account, and has been looking for her, that's the catalyst that starts the story off. He's sort of crashing back into her life, and it catches her off guard. Debate begins. She has to decide, what am I going to do? Now remember, the debate begins is a lot like Dark Knight of the Soul. It could take five seconds. It could take five minutes. It could be a whole scene. It could be a half a scene. It's whatever the the protagonist is going to decide once they meet that inciting incident, that catalyst. They have to decide, am I going to go on this journey to act two or am I just going to keep my life the way it is? She could have just ignored it. She could have said, oh, cool. He's still around. I don't care. I knew him when I was a kid. That was it. Right. But no, she chooses to reach out, right, and try to make contact. Break into two. 20 minutes in, they FaceTime. First time they've seen each other in 12 years, and the friendship is immediately reconnected. It seemed awkward and shaky at first, but they kind of go into their old routine like they hadn't missed a beat. Right, right. Fun and games. Montage of lots of FaceTime between the two. We now see, like, passage of time montage, right, where they're doing this every day almost. They're talking all the time. It's a mirror flip of the first act because she's almost becoming obsessed with this FaceTime connection, right? Yeah. She will rush home from work so she can FaceTime with Sung. Well, and we should note that this is when she's not married yet. Correct. She's, she's single. Yeah, she's single, and so I forget the age she was, but this is before she got married. Yeah, this is like mid-20s, early 20s, I think, because yeah. they were like, what, 10? And then 12 years went by. So yeah. like 22, 23-ish, maybe. Yep. But you actually stopped me right before I finished the sentence, oh, which sorry. was, <laughs> I, I, well, no, I thought you were going to say she's not married yet, and this is, I thought you were going to allude to this sounding a bit romantic, these FaceTimings, right? And I was going to say that perhaps all this long-distance relationships, are they starting to fall for each other? Because they kind of are, mm-hmm. right? They're rekindling their friendship, but they're spending so much time connecting that she doesn't give time for anybody else, right. and neither does he. He even doesn't he even leave going out with drinks from his friends. Like he leaves early so that he can go home and Facetime with Nora, right? Yeah. So, so it culminates in Laura's challenge. 
She drops a challenge in the early part of Act Two. She tells Hey Sung he needs to come to New York, which is where she lives now. She no longer lives in Canada. She has moved to New York. He says it won't be for a while. Like he's got business stuff going on. Yeah. She has business stuff going on. At least a year on. or so. At least a year, he says. She can't handle that. She immediately is like, we need to take a break then because. Yeah. She was that, clear about where she was going in her life. Yeah. And she yeah. want exactly. And she wanted to uh, explore a relationship with Sung, but she was tired of doing it over FaceTime. Right. You know, now she wants to see him and he's like, oh, at least a year. She's like, that is crushing to her. Right. You know, because she's if anything, Nora's character comes off as very deliberate. Mm hmm. Passionate, but deliberate. At the beginning, when they're kids and she doesn't win the number one quiz score or whatever, she's crying, mm. right? He's like, why are you crying? Like, so what? You win all the time. I win once and you cry. You know what I mean? Like, she's very like, this is what I want kind of thing, right? Yeah, yeah. She's very much like that. B story. Now, the B story runs a little late. It's 40 minutes in. Nora moves into her new apartment. At the 40-minute mark, she meets Arthur. Why is Arthur the B story? It's not just because he's the romantic interest. He is going to help lead her to her spiritual goal. Okay. Now, this is the second version of her world, by the way. We've been in the second version this whole time where she is friends with Hei Sung again, but only long distance. Right, right. As adults. So they were kids together, long distance apart. Second version of her world. Cut to 12 years later. <laughs> Nora and Arthur are married. We reach the midpoint scene at 49 minutes in of a 49 minutes in, by the way, of an hour and 45 minute film. So think about that. That's like <laughs> almost right in the middle. Hey, mm -hmm. Sung finally agrees and comes to New York to meet up with Nora. Yeah. Okay. Uh, bad guys closing in. This can't be good for Arthur. <laughs> I mean, right. So, but they they have a long day date. And almost, so much so that it's difficult for Nora when she gets home at night to explain this to Arthur, mm -hmm. right? Her husband. Now, they've, married, they've been married for what? Now, seven years at this point, right? Yeah. They've been married for seven years, and she's finding it difficult to explain this friendship with her husband, who's mm -hmm. obviously American and ain't down with this shit, right? <laughs> this, don't give me this, well, you know, the whole title of Past Lives comes from that discussion that she had with him earlier when they first met was the inyun, right? Which means that you will have a connection over li over over several lives. Right, 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 right. That your destiny basically, it's your destiny to be together. Yeah. Um yeah, and they he... did a, they did a good job with the dialogue between her and her husband. Yes. About this because yeah, cuz it would be weird if, you know, if this happened and but it, they kind of just laid it out, laid it out. Yeah, this is but what am I going to do? Stand in, stand in between you and your childhood friend? He, right. You know, he trusted her. You know? Yeah, he doesn't want to be a dick. He wants yeah. to trust his wife. But at right. the same time, he flat out asks her, well, are you attracted to him? Her answer is, I don't know. The <laughs> fuck? <laughs> I actually, I think I said that when I was sitting in my recliner. When she said that and I got a drink in my hand, I almost literally said out loud, the fuck? <laughs> like, what kind of answer is that? Right. You know, that's like, did you sleep with her? Kind of. Like, what? <laughs> Wait, what? All right. So, by the way, I just threw that last part in as a joke. There was no sex between Sung and Nora. Right. They just had a day date. They just kind of hung out all day. It's clear, though, that, that Arthur's jealous. He wears it on his face, right? All is lost. Now, this was another one. These are where the beats get a little fuzzy in a drama like this. Mm -hmm. But again, first time, first screen play, first screenplay by this writer, first time director, you know, I don't know 
if she's knowledgeable in Blake Snyder's Save the Cat Beat Sheets, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> maybe we should email this to her. But the, be- <laughs> the best I come up with for the All is Lost, and it is kind of a, a hard moment for Arthur, uh, is when they're in bed together and he tells her, did you know that when you talk in your sleep, you speak Korean mm. in your sleep? And she and and she's surprised by that, right? She's like, I do? And he's like, yeah. And it's almost like he laughs it off at first, but you can tell that this bothers him. Yeah. Because what is it really saying that when she's dreaming, mm-hmm. she's dreaming about life and soul, yeah. life with possibly Hey Sung. He's the Americanized version of her. So is she just representing that when she's awake because? Yeah. And when she goes to sleep at night, that's when she dreams about her real love. And, of course, he can't understand anything she's saying because he doesn't speak Korean. So he's worried that she could be fucking having an orgasmic dream (laughs) and he wouldn't even know. (laughs) So it's obviously bothersome for him. So, and again, the idea of Inyon comes up. But again, between between her and her husband having this conversation, I appreciated just the honesty. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. He was if that very... was an American woman. Yeah. Not to I'm I'm going to get hate email now, <laughs> but not to bash American women, but generally a, a, I would imagine that a lot of these conversations would be, would be met with, "Oh, you got nothing to worry about. Everything's fine." No, I don't find him attractive as she takes her pants off. Like, you know, like just a, 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 you fear dishonesty in American society, let's put it that way. Yeah. Where but, it seems like her upbringing is, "I'll be completely honest with you no matter how hurtful it is." Yeah, and and I felt like by watching this unfold, he 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 believed that about her and he respected that and he uh, he, I guess, met it with his own vulnerability and his own honesty, and in sharing that that thing about her speak, you know, speaking in Korean in her in her dreams, um, I found it very very vulnerable and and really kind of heartwarming. That's he's like, this is such a huge part of her. I want to learn how to speak Korean myself, just to be able to bond with her even more i thought that was which, really cool which is interesting because my first take on that so so he, he would understand her so he knows what the <laughs> fuck's going on like that all right all but, right all but right the way women. it was talked about though it didn't all right, have ladies, that air ladies since it seemed like i was attacking you a second ago i'll attack myself i live in the world of jealousy and bitterness i live in california oh, shit. okay so yeah. my thought when I first heard that was, yeah, he wants to know what the fuck they're saying. That's what he wants to I'm know. I'm in the wholesome Midwest. Yes, you're in the wholesome <laughs> Bible Belt, northern Bible Belt, Midwest, where everybody's honest with each other. Anyway. But honestly, um, his character was rather endearing to me. I thought, he was. Yeah, I thought it was good. And, and again, we talked about perfect casting in the first movie with, with Sandra Hola. Dude, John Magaro's got that face, too. Yeah. That... Is wounded like he and and you know where I recognized him and we're gonna talk about this in six degrees. The first time I saw him was Big Short. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and in that movie, he also seems like a guy who wants to do well and succeed, but he oh he takes disappointment hard. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, it's on like, his face. It's yeah. on his face. He's got that great face that he can wear happiness and smiles, but when he's wounded emotionally yeah. and spiritually, yep. he wears it well, dude. That dude's just that dude's just got it when it comes to that, and it's yeah. and I thought it was great casting. Both these films had great casting. Okay, so Dark Knight of the Soul, because of the All Is Lost, Nora decides to bridge the two worlds together and have them meet. She's going to introduce 
her childhood friend, who's now a which, attractive, which adult. takes us back to the bar scene right at the beginning of the film. Right, well, we're not there yet, though. <laughs> okay. So, the Dark Knight of the Soul is her decision to do that. We're now third version of her world. Remember, version one, she's with Hei Sung as children. Version two, they only see each other over long distance as adults. Now, they're back together again as adults. Yep. Right? Hei Sung meets Arthur. A new world now as Nora's husband and longtime friend now finally meet and know each other. Five-point finale. Here we go. Very fuzzy and very quick. Because there's like two scenes left in this movie, right? Yeah, it's a yeah. fast third act. Yeah. Much like Jaws. Remember we talked about Jaws has a very fast third act, right? It happens pretty quickly. Once you reach that all is lost, it's like, you know, heading for the seats almost. You only got minutes left pretty much. Right. Five point finale. Gathering the team. The whole group goes to the bar to drink and talk and everyone is together. Execution of the plan. Hey, Sung, only speaking in Korean now, mind you. <laughs> Now, I don't mean that as a shot at him. He doesn't speak very good English, hardly mm -hmm. any English, right? So that's his only thing he can speak, which is ironic because the actor, Yuteo, in real life, is pretty fluent in English. So he does a pretty good job of, of, of when he does attempt English, he bumbles the words badly. Right, right, right. right. So, so pretty good on his part. But he's only speaking Korean in this scene, and he lays out his thoughts and opinions about their destiny. What would have happened if we had done this and we had done that? Here comes that spiritual goal coming in, right? About choices and, and decisions. And when you leave something behind, you gain something new. Hey, Sung really, really seemingly wants her to leave her husband and go with him. Although he says, I'm glad you met your husband. I'm glad you're happy. And the reason he gets to that, I might be jumping ahead of my beats here. Hightower surprise. Yes. Okay. So he's laying all that out. And Hightower surprise is Nora tells him flat out, the girl you knew no longer exists. Right, right. So she's telling him right then, I see where you're going on this whole in-yoon destiny speech. You got the wrong girl. Mm -hmm. That girl was 24 years ago. Right. Maybe even 12 years ago, but you fucked that up. Right. <laughs> that girl no longer exists, right? Yeah. Dig down deep. Uh, Hesong realizes she is gone. And Nora's happy with Arthur. He is her in-yoon. And... Hey Sung realizes this, right? Execution of the new plan. He kind of lays off a little bit on the we should be together. Not that he ever actually says that, but he lays off the hint of we belong together shit. You know what I mean? I think he came out of the gate with that a little hard, mm -hmm. a little a little hot. He doesn't actually say leave your husband and go with me, but he lays it on thick of the destiny. Shouldn't right. we have been together? Seems like we were supposed to be together. You know what I mean? Like, but when she lays it out, that girl you knew is gone. He kind of lays off a little bit. So she and, and and by the way, which is interesting that during the dig down deep and even high tower surprise moments where she's basically telling Hey Sung that no, I'm not the same person. There's a couple of shots of Arthur. He thinks in his mind it's going the other way. Mm-hmm. That he's talking her into it because he doesn't know what they're saying. They're speaking in Korean, but he's got that look on his face. Like, I feel like a third wheel. These two are obviously having an engrossing conversation. I feel like an asshole sitting over here. Right. Right. He doesn't know that what she is saying is I'm with the white dude now. <laughs> you know, you had your shot mm -hmm. and you missed it. Right. So he doesn't know she's saying that. There is one point where she looks at him and they're both smiling and he, she says he's talking about you. And he smiles almost pathetically like, 
tension breaking almost like god i hope it's something good (laughs) you know i hope you're not gonna be packing your bags when you get home you know but anyway so that leads to the climax where she walks him to his uber Mm -hmm. and says her final goodbye yeah he mentions about what if this was our past life you know what i mean Mm -hmm. he's even hinting again one last shot is it possible that we're gonna see each other again in the next life are we still in yoon Right. You know, but the fact that when he leaves and she walks back and Arthur's outside having a cigarette and they hug and she's crying, she falls apart, lets you know that that was her saying goodbye to her old life. Yes. It was her saying goodbye to Seoul, her saying goodbye to South Korea, her saying goodbye to to that thought of is Sung my destiny? She knows yeah. now it's over. Yep. It's gone by her own hand, of course, but it's what needed to happen she's in love with her husband yeah so he leaves and then of course the closing image which is a bookend of the opening image Sung is now alone he's in a car presumably driving to the airport right and he's like looking out the window at all the buildings like has, do you ever feel smaller than you do when you're in Manhattan <laughs> you know <laughs> when you just look up and you're like fuck every building here is bigger than me and it goes on for miles Right. He sort of has that look in his eye when he's looking out the window as the car is driving and you realize that he's he's no longer happy. He's not sad. Yeah. But because he's got some, you know, some there's some finality to it. Right. Closure is what he got. Yeah. yeah. But it's 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 almost like he has a, a, a sense of 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 fear of where's his life going to go now? He's only known Nora in his life. Right. Right. And this isn't this is a goodbye, man. That's another reason why she's crying. This isn't a, hey, thanks for visiting. I'll write you next Christmas. This is, you have to go. Right, right, right. Because there's no room in my life for your attempts at our destiny. Right, right. We can't really be friends, right? Yeah, yeah. So this is it. And that's why she's crying, right? Because it's over, over. Well, and you really had it when you said it was her saying goodbye to Korea. You know, embrace it. You know, this is her saying goodbye to her old life. I have a video that I found. It's a YouTube short. It's like 37 seconds long of the director talking about the ending. She basically explains the ending. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's pretty wild. I'll I'll add it to the show notes. It's really good, though, because it really... it. Jesse, actually, my wife actually explained it to me before I found this video because I was like, I got it, but her words, almost mi- word for word, is what this the director said. It, it's an immigrant story. This isn't about childhood romance or whatever. Right. Her reaction to him leaving at the end of the movie is her finally grieving her old life and embracing her new one. Right, she's been hanging on yeah. to Seoul, South Korea for 24 years. Yeah, yeah. Right? And, and I can't imagine. So, you know, we are, what, great-grandsons or great-great-grandsons of immigrants? It's, you know, it's been several generations in our family. Yeah. So I, I don't know what that experience is like. You know, going to another country. There you go. Lightsaber time. <laughs> but yeah, so... <laughs> <laughs> to take a serious moment and Sorry. add some levity. But no, Sorry. for real. I mean, I can't imagine how hard that would be to leave now, a country uh, where all your people are from and go to an, and establish a new life. And so I thought that last scene kind of made the movie for me because the whole time 
I was battling with, I, and I think it was the trailers, like I said at the beginning, I thought it was a romance about, you know, an, an old romance that didn't, you know, whatever. But it that's really not what it was about. It was a, it was an immigrant story. And they in in hindsight now looking back at the at the movie, I was like, "Oh, yeah. I could, you could see, you see it throughout now." Yeah, I mean, definitely. I think that's why she cries at the end. I thought you could do one of my of course but maybes, a 75-25 at this movie. If you cut out the last bookend of him in the car and as she cries and he's walking her up, you could have played with, is she going up there to pack her bags? Mm. But but I wouldn't have liked it nearly as much. I like the finality where she had to say goodbye and her language throughout at the bar and on the street yeah. are laced with this is it. It's over. So it wouldn't make any sense. For there to be an ambiguous ending of, oh, is she going up there to tell her Arthur it's over? Yeah. She's got to pack her bags and go with Haesung. So I think the first half of the movie, you think maybe that will happen, that they'll end up with each other. But when Arthur comes in, like, after that, she's she's moving on with her life. Right, right. So, you know, tangible goal. She wanted to get Haesung to New York, and she got that halfway through the film. She accomplished that at the midpoint. The spiritual goal was to realize that her in was Arthur, not Haesung. Now, if you had told her, remember, we talk about character development and growth. If you had told her at the beginning of the movie, your inyon, your destiny, the person you're going to spend the rest of your life with is some white dude from friggin' New York, <laughs> she would have been like, what? No, it's not. It's Sung. I'm supposed to be with Sung my whole life. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so she had to learn that lesson. All right, a couple of quick things. So some cool things here. After Nora ends things, when she, like, breaks up with him over FaceTime, and he goes drinking, <laughs> what? One of the friends says, if Hey Sung says we drink, we drink. <laughs> Why that's funny is I want to get that on a hat or a T-shirt or something. I want And see if anybody knows the reference, if anybody knows what it means. I want to get a T-shirt that says, if Hey Sung says we drink, we drink. <laughs> hey, this, this, this is actually an idea I had like a year and a half ago. We get a famous movie quote. That has something to do with drinking, and yes. we put the Silver Screen Happy Hour logo on it. Fuck yeah! <laughs> we don't have to it's, copyright lines of dialogue, it's right? It's Happy Hour. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So another thing, there's a great shot of Nora on her last day of school as a child. She starts to walk up the stairs, and he's walking straight. And it's like you can see them splitting as yeah. they're walking, yeah, right? Yeah. And it's a great shot of yeah. them from behind. Right, right, right. And it's a great shot the way that was shot. Yep. Okay, some trivia. So John Magaro and Yuteo didn't meet prior to their first scene together on screen. Hmm. That was the first time they met. They didn't never met before. The director purposely did this so that their awkwardness would be, real. feel real. Yeah, <laughs> That's great. Some of the storylines are autobiographical, as writer-director Celine Song also moved from Korea to Canada, later settled in the U.S., started playwriting, and married a writer. Hmm. In the climax, the two main characters—oh, this is an interesting one. This is a director's thing. I know this is a writing podcast, but directors, think about this. This is also cool. In the climax, the two main characters are walking— Right to left, right? As she's walking him to the Uber. Mm. Now, the way we read, like particularly in English, now I know in, in Asian, it's up and down, right? It's it's up down. It depends on the Asian country. Okay, yeah. okay. But, but in America, we read left to right. Right. In film, I learned this in directing class at film school, Columbia College, Chicago, shout out. <laughs> they teach you that the dominance is on the left part of the frame. 
because that's where you start reading. If you were going to read, you start to the left. That's the dominant side. So to be walking, uh, so a natural progression is left to right. So to be going the other way signifies with the camera that she's they're walking towards the past, right? Mm-hmm. They're walking towards the past. And when she lets him go, she walks back the other way alone towards her future. Yeah. Directors use this technique for this that, being her that first That is something because it, when they first started walking, like she's taking him to a zoo, the Uber wasn't there yet. Why didn't they just stand right there? Right. So, so it's a director's choice to do this on purpose. Yeah, 100%. Uh, to give you another perfect example, this technique was done in Braveheart. And I want to say it was the Battle of Falkirk, where they're completely outmatched. The Scots are on the right side of the frame because they're the smaller army, right? And the big, bad English army is on the right side, or on the left side. When the battle starts, while the battle's going on and blood's being shed and body parts are flying, you'll notice that it starts to shift mm. to where all of a sudden the Scots are on the left side of the frame. And it ends with where, if you remember that shot, I'm sure you do, of Mel Gibson, where he's got the sword <laughs> up and he's, oh, he's standing completely on the left side of the frame. Nice, yeah. Right? So the dominance <laughs> has shifted. Yeah, yeah. And, and filmmakers use the camera to tell stories like that. And she does it here on her first film. She uses it in the climax, which I thought was brilliant. Yeah. And I thought it was a a great touch. Okay. uh, That's all I got. If you want to jump to six degrees. Yeah, let's do it. This, this was funny. So you messaged me last night and I wake up. Tell them what I text you. (laughs) Well, you text me last night and I wake up at three 30 this morning, half asleep, looking at my phone going, Oh God, six degrees. I forgot. So I'm like, okay. Uh, No, no to our listeners. My brother often procrastinates this fucking thing, and I always text him the day before, don't forget about six degrees, don't forget about six degrees, don't wait till we're on air and then fucking hit me with it. I sent you, so I respond to you at 3.52 a.m., and with with the two, basically it's the two, two kids from both movies. Right, the the female version, the young, uh, the, the young Nora, the young Nora, and and so, the, and the young boy, the the son the in the blind Daniel, yes. the blind son Daniel. So, Which what are their are names? Milo Ma- Machado, Ma- Machado Grander, Grainer, Grainer, and Moon Sunga. Is that okay. how you say that? Moon Sunga. And I said, good luck. <laughs> Because both of them are, they're young actors, only been in a few things in foreign countries, in foreign films. And what did so, I respond? Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> With intentional spaces in between yes. two words. But I actually said this, this one might prove that you actually cannot connect all actors through six degrees. And it might have. It might have. Because if we use the actual game as it is, it works. We usually self-restrict ourselves. Yeah, we, we make say, it we harder. Say, we make it harder. We say you can't use the movies that we're talking about. But I have to today. I have to use one of them at least. Mm-hmm. I don't have to use both, but I have to use one of them. But it does work. So Milo Machado Grainer, who plays a young blind son Daniel in Anatomy of a Fall, was like only one other movie. He's only got like two movies on his entire roster, two or three. <laughs> and like you said, they're all in uh, French you know, films, overseas. Right? Yeah, they're all French films. He was in a movie called Waiting for Bojangles. <laughs> in that movie is an, an actor that I don't know. His name is Romain Duris, Duris okay. maybe. He was in The Three Musketeers Part 1, Dar Oregon, I guess is a trilogy. 
But in that movie, thank God, is Vincent Castle, who is a French actor, but is in a lot of mainstream American films as well. He's got probably a long shitload resume in France, but he's also got a pretty good, impressive resume in America. One of his American films is Ocean's 12. Yes. (laughs) There's your your hook. There it is. So what's that? We're at at three right now, right? That's three right there. Waiting for Bojangles, The Three Musketeers, and not The Three Musketeers that you're thinking of. It's (laughs) some French one called Part One to Artigan. It's not The Three Musketeers with fucking Oliver Platt and Kiefer Sutherland and all those guys. Anyway, so so yeah, so Ocean's Twelve. That's three connections right there. Uh, Vincent Castle's in Ocean's Twelve with Brad Pitt, who's okay. in The Big Short with Big John Magaro. Who's go. in with, with John Magaro? Who's in Past Lives with Moon Song? Ah, so I had to use Past Lives. Yep. I try. I'll give you. Uh, I'll give you some credit. I tried to do it without using Fast Lives or Anatomy of Fall, and I got fucking nowhere. It, like they were like on two different continents. Yeah, it and might be the, possible, but man, that's tough. All it's, their work they did was in two different continents, a world away from each other. Right. That was a good challenge. I mean, to, to really see if this was gonna. That was a hard one, man. <laughs> <laughs> and I and threw it made that me think before I, four in the morning. Yeah, my time. And it, ma- and it made me think. I remember thinking, you know what? This whole time we say that every two actors could be connected. And say, We've always, always been arrogantly referring to American films. Yeah. We almost never talk about foreign films. And now our biggest challenge was always. We always said Charlie Chaplin and Carrot Top. Our biggest challenge always seemed to be time. But American films, right? But if you're pulling something from like the 1920s to the 1990s, that was impressive. But it was in America. We never thought to start pulling fucking f- South Korean films and French films, and that fucking raises the stakes. Do you think it'd be easier or harder if we went Charlie Chaplin to any one of these two actors? <laughs> it ain't gonna be in six. <laughs> well, I mean, you got. You got a couple American yeah, thank, films in there. Uh, you know what? Thank God for Vincent Castle. Yeah, thank God, because you can connect him. And at least. and that's what I was looking for was somebody like that. When you first laid out that challenge, I'm like, tell me there's a background actor, a supporting <laughs> role that's that's done both, right? That yeah. is big in Europe, but also big in America. You know, like give me that one. Give me a Gerard Depardieu in there somewhere. You know, <laughs> and I, there was nobody. Fucking nobody. Like I was just like, I've never heard of these people, and and particularly. Like, I went through Anatomy of a Fall, which is the French film. Yeah. When I went through a Moon, Moon Sunya Oz film history. Yeah. The film she was in, which is very little as well. They're all South Korea. Yeah. There is nobody in there I even heard of. <laughs> I'm like, this is not, I have to use past lives. I have to use past lives. Yeah. It's the only film where I know somebody. Yeah. <laughs> so it was tough. Definitely tough. Good challenge. Good pick this time. Yeah. But don't do that to me again, please. That was, that was fucking... No, the, I mean, the challenge it's... isn't Stump Jerome. It's to see right. if... It's to see if it can be done. Yeah. So, well done. That was fun. <laughs> All right. So, part one of our Oscar series. What'd you think? Pretty good. These are yeah, two good movies. Fun. Yeah, Fun. And, you know, I mean, do I think either of these are going to win Best Picture? I doubt it. I, You're right. There's some other big movies that we're going to tackle next or upcoming, so I'm looking forward to those. But worthy, worthy nominations. I mean, they were, you know, yeah, well, well I think, done. I think Past Lives is a good film. I still don't know if it needs to be in the best. If this is only – if the best picture race is back down to only five films, Past Lives ain't getting in. Yeah. But then again, probably neither is Anatomy of a Fall. Well, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. But Well, but, they used, uh, do they still do best foreign film? Yeah, they have international film. So, you know what? 
Past Lives wasn't nominated, but I think, I don't know if one of these other ones are. They mm. have to be, to meet the criteria, I think it's not just your country of origin. I think you have to have a certain percentage of cast and crew are from there, and the language has to be a certain percentage in another language. Okay. So I don't know what the qualifications are, I'll be honest. Right, right. I'd have to look at it and then get back to you. But, but neither one of them, I think, are nominated for that, are they? Anatomy of the Fall has five Oscar nominations. I would think that if Best International Foreign Film was one of them, that would be one of the five, right? But I don't think it is. All right, here it is. I have it right here. So it's nominated for five Oscars. They are Best Picture of the Year, Best Actress, Best Director, Best Screenplay, and Best Editing. So it's not up for Best Foreign Film. So does that mean it wasn't eligible? Or does that mean that there are five other foreign films that are even better than that? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Past Lives also didn't get nominated for Best Foreign Film. But remember, Past Lives, the whole second half of the film takes place in New York City. Mm-hmm. Right? So yeah, that's true. I, I don't know if you're going to get away with saying Past Lives is a foreign film, technically. That's true. Um, so I, I don't know. But I'm, I'm going to tease something for the audience. I, I, it needs your approval, of course. <laughs> but I think our next show... Session two, the second show of our Oscar series. We should take on the two biggies, the one that's coming down to, the one that all the awards will probably be separated between the two, Barbie versus Oppenheimer. I say we do it. It's the two biggest ones. It's like fucking Muhammad Ali versus fucking George Foreman. This is Tyson Holyfield, baby. Let's do Barbie versus Oppenheimer for our next show. What do you say? Done. Yes! (laughs) Approved. Yes! it's... I mean, it's funny because all last summer everything was. What were they calling it? Barbie, ha- op- Barbie Hammer or something? Oppenarby? Oppenarby? I don't remember, but Barbie Hammer. crazy. It was so funny too because I didn't see either of them when it first came out. I finally did see Barbie. I still haven't seen Oppenheimer, so and I'm I'm sad I didn't see it at the, on the big screen. I think it is showing in the Detroit area they, and IMAX they, somewhere. They they did they re-released it for IMAX after the nomination. So came I see, need to get down there and watch. So you it. should check it out. You should. I think you yeah. can stream it right now, but you should check it out on the IMAX. Yeah. that would be insane. Well, here's the thing: I can't take my wife. <laughs> Why? She does not want to see nuclear bombs in IMAX. It just freaks okay. her out. <laughs> to be fair. <laughs> They only show one nuclear bomb. So why is it an IMAX? I mean, it's and just it's, one and, bomb. And it's just the test. It's just the testing. Well, they yeah. Don't, they don't show the murder of a couple hundred thousand people during the war. They don't show any of that. They talk about it. Yeah. And you know what's there? But what I think is interesting between these two, not just because they're the top two films of the year, both money-making and Oscar nominations, and they're probably going to split the Oscars pretty much right down the middle, I think... What makes them interesting is they are similar in theme a little bit. They both have a lead protagonist that is suddenly aware of their world and is going to change it dramatically by their own doing. (laughs) Their own doing. It doesn't happen to them. You know what I mean? They create their world change. And then it's how they respond to the changes that they made in their own world. Yeah, it's an interesting take, yeah. Yeah, so it'll be it'll be I I'm looking forward to our next show. Yeah. So Oppenheimer versus Barbie, and we're gonna have fun creating our own title for it. So so get to work on that. You're usually the title maker. Yeah. So we'll see we'll see how quickly we can get these out. Except I'm taking full credit for Fat Hard. That was mine. <laughs> and it's still my favorite title of any show we've done. 
Yeah, we'll see if we we'll see how quickly we can get the turnaround on these. Um, I am going to Fort Lauderdale for a week, so that's going to put oh. me behind on my. Oh, uh, must be nice. My editing. Uh, I'm taking a little vacay, so you know. I mean, come on, Michigan, February. I need to get out of Dodge, man. We need some yeah. sunshine. I'm telling you, man. <laughs> I live in California, but it's Northern California, so we've had a crazy windstorm lately and rain. A lot of rain lately, which is interesting because when we get rain, you get snow. Yeah. Because by the time it comes to you, by the time that same weather gets across the country to you, it turns into fucking ice storms and shit. Yep. Well, shout out to our new listener, our Uncle Dennis Hagen. <laughs> Thanks for listening, Uncle Dan. <laughs> yes. You've now added, uh, you've, you've raised our listener group by 100%. <laughs> We're now up to two listeners. Yeah, right. <laughs> But anyway, uh, yeah, good show. I like these two. Uh, you know, uh, check out the rest of the Oscar nominees. Get ready for the Oscars, man. They're coming up. Yep. All right. Do your thing. What do you say? Support your local cinema. There you go. Keep drinking and keep watching. All right. All right.